1: Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST.
2: Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
3: i oh,
4: Hello and welcome to the Group C and D preview of the Guardian Football Weekly. Is it scripted to be Lionel Messi's World Cup? Will that save football? Group C has a classic World Cup look to it. Mexico, essential for any World Cup to add some green and some come second to get knocked out in the last 16 vibes. Poland to make up the numbers and Saudi Arabia, who for some reason are playing in Newcastle's away kit this time around. Speaking of kits, some wonderful matchups in Group D with France, Denmark, Australia and Tunisia. The holders France have injury worries, but still some great players, while the Danes appear to be everyone's dark horses so expect them to crash out the socceroos are galactico light right now while tunisia well i'm looking forward to learning about them in a minute also today as part of our series into qatar off the pitch we take a detailed look at the lives and experiences of the lgbtqi plus community there and speak to the only openly gay qatari man as always we'll answer your questions and that's today's guardian football weekly On the panel today for parts one and two, Marcela Mora y Araujo, The klaxon has been uh, sounded for Argentina discussion. How are you, Marcela? It's always nice to speak to you.
2: Hello. Nice to see you all.
4: Hello, Mark Langdon. Hello, Max. And hello, Filippo Clare. Good morning to you, Max. Chris says, are people rooting for Messi? Should they? Shouldn't they? Tell me what to think, Marcella. Uh, it feels, you know, I mean, there's been so much talk about lots of things in the build-up for this World Cup. But on the pitch, a lot has been said about Lionel Messi. And is this his time?
2: I think it is. I think, you, yes, we should all be rooting for Messi. He's definitely uh, come into his own somehow. There's this uh, leader, mature, confident, Messi. And, well, I'm in Buenos Aires right now, and the love in here is just unbelievable. Uh, having watched him progressed through so many stages of his relationship with Argentina where, you know, it's at times been fraught, at times it seemed that it weighs heavily on him, at times it seems the country is angry with him. This is the absolute kind of harmony moment of the Messi that has finally achieved, uh, you know, the big important international title for the country the, the Cop America, he's finally at ease. He's um, playing incredibly well. I don't know what demons he's liberated himself from. Perhaps Maradona's death is the thing that enabled him to step up. Perhaps uh, leaving Barcelona has something to do with it. It's like he's freed himself from chains. And whereas we most of his career... Of course, we know he grew up in Barcelona, practically. He joined as a very young kid. Most of his career, he was the perfect uh, element of a of a perfect machine in Barcelona. And he did so, so well. And then he would join the Argentina national squad and that wouldn't be emulated. And so it seemed that he couldn't quite deliver for country what he, what he could for club. His move to Paris seems to have shifted that. And, Uh, There was a point when he wasn't quite delivering for Paris Saint-Germain, but he was doing increasingly well with Argentina. And now it's like he is a perfect balance of both. So I I can't imagine a more more perfect time for, for Messi to shine. The only thing that worries me is that obviously this, you know, Nirvana is kind of, could turn into a monster of its own making. So anything now short of this brilliance is going to be a huge anticlimax and disappointment.
4: Philippe, would you like to see Messi lift the World Cup?
5: The uh, ambassador of the the Saudi Tories board, yes, of course, I would love to see that, (laughs) Uh, which of course is going to be a huge problem with him when he plays against uh, uh, the away uh, Newcastle, as you were saying, Newcastle uh, in, in the group phase. Um, I, I suppose so. I suppose so. Uh, I, I have to say that I am perhaps not as great a fan of, of him that as Marcela obviously is. Um, but if you took a look at things more realistically for once, the idea that it would be a win or a failure. I think when you look at his Argentinian team and if you look at the other competition, you say, yep. Yeah. Yeah, if they don't win it, it would be a failure. They're my favorite, and and uh, there are many people's favourites. Um, I haven't. They haven't had as balanced a team as this one for a while, and he seems to be as yes, walking on water. I mean, he's been absolutely tremendous for PSG this season, which is quite extraordinary when you think about it. And you thought last year when we were talking about him, we were talking about his injuries, which was something quite new in his career. We were talking about um, his lack of. Uh, uh, I mean, he he wasn't scoring goals and he wasn't even making them. He was really a shadow of himself. And this year we're we're back to the very best Messi. So, would I be happy for him, up up to a point, my dear Max? I'm going to be very diplomatic about that because I I, w- I wouldn't want to hurt the feelings of of dear Marcelo. Marcella. No, that's and, dying. Uh, uh, and of the Argentinian people who I who I who I hold dearly <laughs> in my heart and uh, whose um, you know whose colours I I I I love and whose flag I I respect, but. Eh, yeah, it, maybe.
4: <laughs> no, you're allowed to have your own feelings, Philippe. We know them all, all too well. Mark, uh, Philippe talked about the balance of Argentina. Can you talk us through that balance? Do you, do you share his view on that?
6: I, well, I definitely think it is a more balanced team. Um, they've gone into previous World Cups, maybe not convincing in terms of like the goalkeeper situation. And Emi Martinez has definitely... Um, steadied that that particular area um, of of the team Uh, Christian Romero and Otamendi feels like it maybe shouldn't work as as a centre-back pairing because they are quite an aggressive duo and Romero um, I I think has been absolutely outstanding since um, he found his way into that Argentinian team and you know there are some players that maybe put club uh, before country I, I think it's it's um you know romero maybe the other way around when the premier league was finishing he was sending out tweets of him in his argentina kit um just getting ready to 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 start preparations i think in midfield giovanni lacelso it was some when i've watched argentina in the last couple of years he is somebody that has linked that team really um perfectly from the midfield in terms of getting the ball to messi and so his injury um, I'm not sure who's going to come in um, to to replace him, but I don't know if they've got a player just quite like Lascelles that that can do that job um, as neatly as as what he did. Up front, uh, there are absolutely no doubts. Um, you know, if it's Messi and Lautaro Martinez, um, you've got Di Maria, who again is another one of those players that's fresh, hasn't done as much at Juventus as maybe the Juventus fans um, will have liked. The one area I I was looking at when Philippe was calling them favourites and one area, I I just wondered about the fullbacks um, and whether that might be a a, a slight weakness uh, in them. You could say the same maybe about Brazil as well. And if you are to have uh, an area where you're maybe not as as strong, I think in the fullback areas is probably the place to be.
4: It's interesting, Marcelo, you talked about a generational thing, obviously, between you know, Maradona and Messi, you know, life moves on, doesn't it? In my mind, it's like Argentina win the World Cup quite a lot. But, you know, it hasn't been since 1986, right? You know, do they talk of, you know, it's what, 36 years of hurt now?
2: The, um, the Cop America win was so significant because it broke a kind of, you know, a spell or some sort of with that... It- We hadn't won anything internationally important, but we'd been close, you know, Copa America finals, the 2014 final. And and I think, uh, although that's, to me, that shows how well Argentina continued to do. It's not like we won a World Cup years ago and then nothing ever happened. Continuously close. There's a really really nice kind of... uh, growth to this squad though, because there, there was a time when José Peckerman took over the youth, the youth sides of Argentina and completely revolutionized the way, the seriousness of which uh, the you know at international level we worked with kids and the approach to training and 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 teaching and grooming them in, in a way, you know, to be wholesome humans. And now it's that Generation that is leading the squad. So I think I mean I I, I have a lot to say about the players and the Los Celso injury. And I think uh, Argentina playing a friendly today in Saudi Arabia. And I think Julian Alvarez might be in there, who who I rate enormously. Um, but 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 the team doing the work, the trainings. Lionel Scaloni and his Accolades, who are Pablo Aymar, Walter Samuel, and Roberto Ayala, three of the best players of their generation at the time, both club and for Argentina, youth and you know, first team, are uh, they, they have taken on the the training and the preparation of the of the squad since you, you know for the last four years, really since the 2018 debacle and um, There's something really nice and wholesome about the way they're working. They're low profile, they're not scandalous, they don't appear in the media much and they're they're closing age to some of the players. In fact, Scaloni was working with San Paolo in 2018 and he says he stayed on partly because he could tell he had a good rapport with the players when all hell was breaking loose. So that makes me feel that... um, you know, winning the trophy itself is kind of less important than sustaining this this, this rhythm, if you like, of, of just bringing in the young players. 19 of these players have never played a World Cup. I read the other day somewhere, Argentina are old and experienced, and that will bode well for them. They're not old and experienced. 19 have never played a World Cup, and yet they've won a Cop America. So it's that wonderful combination of, you know, youth, yeah, we can do anything. I hope it doesn't go to their heads. I hope they're not overconfident. I know what Philip means, but there's a there's you know a point which you think it's just too straightforward, <laughs> you know, and then and then Argentina won. But uh, but but if they can enjoy the football the way they have, if they can play like they did in Copa America, if Messi can delight whilst himself looking delighted, then to me, that's mission accomplished. You know, whether or not there's four at the back, it seems almost like a, you know, a plot from a different movie. <laughs> but I do actually think the defenders are quite well. I mean, Otto isn't one of the 19 who've never played a World Cup before. But I do think we need someone with his kind of, you know, slightly scary uh, <laughs> anger to, to hold forth.
4: Well, the three teams that they have to get past... Uh, To get into the knockouts, Mexico, Poland and Saudi Arabia, we may not give them quite the amount of time we give Argentina. Forgive us, please. Uh, Mexico, um, as I said, Philippe, they have to be at a World Cup. They have to get out of the group and they have to get knocked out in the last 16. And that has happened every World Cup since 1994.
5: All series come to an end. And I'm wondering if this might not be the World Cup at which this, unfortunately, um, this comes to an end. The reason for that, and I'm saying that with a, a tremolo in my voice, because I really want them to do well. They've got the best shirt at this World Cup by a considerable distance. It is a thing of absolute beauty, which was done by the Museo Anthropologico uh, de México, Mex- and uh, which is magnificent. But apart from oh, that, yes, it, it is beautiful. And the, the thing is, it's basically the same team uh you know tata martino has basically taken the team that he's been with for a while they did well in the qualifiers up to a point if you look at if you look at what they did there they finished equal on points with canada and which is fine everybody was talking about canada doing something extraordinary nobody talks about mexico uh but the thing is that their performances were poor uh they really struggled against the better teams uh in the, in that uh, concacaf group some of their players their main players are not the players they used to be. Everybody would know Raul Jimenez and everybody would know that Raul Jimenez is not the player he used to be. Uh, he's actually left out of the squad a few young players that many people in Mexico would have liked to be in that squad. And he's relying on a system, his good old 4-3-3. I think, honestly, you could you could almost literally name every single one of those players by just by looking at, at the previous World Cup and perhaps the only one player whom I can get a bit excited about is Alexis Vega, uh, who was their top scorer in the qualifiers with, hold on, two goals. That, <laughs> that that shows you that they have a problem. Loads of players who scored one goal and only two, I think, scored two goals. And one of them is is Alexis Vega, who is, who is young, is only 24, is a great talent, uh, could be a great stage. But also the atmosphere back home, I'm told by my family there, because I've got some family there, which also explains why I'm a little bit partial to them. Um, is that all the knives are already drawn against Satan martino And their first game, if I'm not mistaken, is the one that could take them out of the World Cup.
6: Yes, yeah, Poland first, yeah.
5: Because they play They play Poland. If they lose against Poland, that's it. That That is honestly it, because Saudi Arabia are so bad that, um, you know, actually discount them, discount Saudi Arabia.
4: Okay, fine. That's that preview done. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, 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 Mark, who, who will win out of Poland and Mexico? Poland always seemed to me as a kind of sort of making up the numbers, uh, sort of feeling about them at World Cups. You need them there. You know they're not going to do anything, and that's fine. That's sort of where everybody is happy with.
6: Yeah, I mean, I would make it almost 50-50 between uh, Mexico and, um, and Poland in terms of that. I wouldn't be surprised if that game finished in a draw. It, you know, you get these World Cup matches where... Both teams know if they lose, they, they could almost be out before the tournament starts, and there is that backward step um, taken. A Poland play Argentina last, which I think could be an advantage. If Argentina, um, you know, get their first two wins on the board, and as we've spoken, it looks like they will. Maybe there's rotation for that final game. Maybe a draw could, you know, even suit both teams. So that might be an advantage for um, Poland. <laughs> They're not a one-man team, but Lewandowski. Uh, carries a lot of their hopes. I mean, it's quite obvious um, you know, t- to say that. I think early on in his Poland career, he struggled because there just wasn't the service up to him. And he's not somebody like Messi that can drop deep, dribble past five players and then smash it into the corner or curl it into the corner or is, is more the Messi way. Lewandowski does need a certain amount of service. Um, you know, he's not somebody who just hangs around the box, but still needs people to get the ball to him. And in the last Euros... Poland went out early, but at least Lewandowski looked like the Lewandowski that we saw at Bayern Munich and for, um, for now for Barcelona. I think if you look at somebody like uh, Zielinski at Napoli, he can um, provide him with a, a decent amount of, of service. Be interesting to see who partners Lewandowski up front because Milik, injury prone though he is, has actually done really well um, for, for Juventus. And if he could get his way back into that starting 11 up front with Lewandowski and Zielinski in behind, that that might just give them the edge um, over Mexico. The rest of the team, particularly the spine, I think is well known um, You know from previous tournaments in Chesney in goal. Glick, the kind of warrior at, at the back and uh, Krakowiak is still in central midfield with Lewandowski up front. So, I mean, I, I, just going back to Mexico, it wouldn't be the first time that Mexico have gone into a World Cup with the fans not liking certain aspects of whether it's the team, the style, the manager, they are. Uh, I think in terms of supporters going to Qatar, they'd be um, among the sort of um, sort of heavily supported teams there, and it wouldn't amaze me if Mexico played better than what we've seen of them because it's a um, a World Cup, and you know the, that. I don't want to sit on the fence too much, Max, but I am going to. I I I've, I've, I'm yeah. I mean, I, I just think um, you know. I don't see how anyone can have a really strong opinion on whether Poland or Mexico goes through.
5: But at least one thing we can be sure of is that Saudi Arabia will not go out of the group. Are we sure
4: about that? They have former yes. Cambridge manager Irv Renard.
5: Ah, uh, Her, uh,
4: okay. Erve. Um, yes, Marcella?
2: No, no, I agree. Saudi Arabia are really likely to to stay on, I think, because also they will have a, a local uh, advantage, whatever. What you know, whatever that that weighs for, but but significant because um, you know, but, well, we're all from another planet um, in, in in that part of the world, which I think is exciting.
5: I was I was listening to. Uh... Uh, to to Mark speaking with a smile on my face and and uttering silent prayers to uh, the Virgen de, de Guadalupe, you know, and uh, thinking yes, absolutely they will go through, but I don't think so. Uh, but Saudi Arabia, I think one thing that really amused me is I looked at their results this year. It's a perfect digital team.
4: It's binary numbers, isn't it? One zero zero
5: one 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 zero zero one zero 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 one. And to be honest, their results have been absolutely appalling. Absolutely appalling. <laughs> the last the last game was a one all against Panama. Uh, they drew against Albania, Honduras. Uh, they drew with against China, which is really taking. You really have got to be really bad to draw with China. And no, honestly, they, yeah, they'll be very heavily supported. By the way, that's true. Lots of people will do will cross the border to go and, and support them. That might play. Some role, but it would be a huge surprise if they got one point from that group.
4: Well, Marcella, thanks so much for coming on. We'll no doubt speak to you as the tournament progresses. It
2: would be lovely to come back and uh, discuss with Philippe how Argentina and France face <laughs> off for the second <laughs> phase of the <that laughs> tournament. We dispense with Chata Martinez first, make him pay for his sins against Argentina and then move on to face France. Lovely to see you all.
7: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST.
4: Well, welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly, uh, Football Weekly Live. The hourly tweets have started. My apologies to everybody, um, but it is being live streamed around the world. So until we sell 7 billion tickets, got to keep plugging it. Uh, Theguardian.com slash Guardian Live. Uh, we are from Earth in Hackney, and around the earth on the internet. Uh, me, Barry, Lars, Ellis, James, some special guests. I can't give any more information than that. Um, but some of the some of your favourite panellists may be turning up too. Right. Um, Alistair says, will anyone do a World Cup preview and not predict that France would either win the tournament or crash out in the group stages? Uh, JP says, no Pogba, no Kante, a dodgy Benzema. How much will Australia win the opening game by? So Group D is Australia, Denmark, Uh, Tunisia and France and let's start with France and your pal Didier Deschamps-Philippe how do you see it and and Kunku is out I mean that's the latest news isn't it Uh, Kamavinga uh, injured him in training which is always a good start
5: Yeah uh, we've won the World Cup of Injuries I think by quite a distance already Uh, so obviously N'Golo Kante and Paul Pogba basically the midfield which gave France the World Cup in 2018 uh, Mike Mignon, that was a, a real blow, because he, w- he was doing superbly, uh, the AC Milan keeper. Preston Kimpembe, uh, I'm not too sure that's much of a problem, because to be honest, I always had the jitters when I saw him, his name on the on the team um, team sheet. Uh, and also there are players, um, and that's one of the problems which meant meant that Didier Deschamps only gave a list of 25 and not 26 players, is that there are a number of players about whom there are there are doubts we're carrying niggles and we don't know exactly which state they're going to be in and obviously some important players i mean i think Rafael Varane is obviously one uh, who would be automatic choice uh Lucas Hernandez is back not sure that he's back to his best level but he's back now we're starting to fret about Karim Benzema who only trained for 10 15 minutes uh, at Clairefontaine uh, yesterday uh before they flew out to to Qatar um today and it was a precautionary measure, but as you will have seen, he hasn't played for Real Madrid for a while. There's also the impact of the Ballon d'Or on the head of a player. We know it can have a negative impact. Uh, and there are other players who are also like... Jules uh, Koundé uh, is in the squad, but again, he's missed uh, Barcelona's last few games. Um, so the squad is in a really... It's as bad a state physically as it was before the 2002 World Cup and you probably will remember what happened there and I would agree that it could be all the way or crashing out at the group stage uh, which would be very very French and I, I don't feel confident at all the problems that other teams have got with their fullbacks I think France also has them up to a point uh, and it's our midfield honestly I can't see I can't see anybody who is quite as good as you know, obviously Pogba and, and Kante together for France. I mean, the, the Pogba Kante association we saw for France was truly special, spectacular, and absolutely decisive. And what we have now, we have place like Chomani, my, my my old friend, whose name I didn't, I don't have to mention. <laughs> Everybody will know who I'm talking about, and who will probably start. Uh, people are talking about Yusuf fofanas as being a possible starter. Well, look at the number of caps he's gone. I mean, it's not exactly a midfield that inspires confidence. And I'd love to have Mark's considered judgment on that if my pessimism is something that he shares.
6: Yeah, I mean, I think from that that midfield would be the concern for me, um, really, because it was such a, a strength of, of the French team when they won the World Cup the way that um, they were so disciplined but also were able to... Um, Follow Deschamps' game plan and Pogba. Um, you know, for all that he gets, um, you know, when he was in the Premier League, that there were people that were criticizing him. I think in the French national team, the majority of the time, um, he was he was he was absolutely fine and one of the best players and most important players within that team. So to lose somebody like Pogba does feel um, like like a big thing. And I was just looking at that mid the, the midfield and. I'm sure that you know in 3 or 4 years time Many and Kamavinga will, will be absolutely perfect in that position but when you look at Veritu, to uh Rabio um, I I won't go on how many I won't say Rabio is Rabio is Rabio but um the I, I mean let's just say the jury's out I uh, I think in in terms of of some of them players as to whether they're up to the standard maybe of of sort of French midfields um, in, in years gone past and I think that strength in depth was always sort of considered the, the reason why France were many people's favourites at the last Euros and one of the favourites for the for the World Cup because in 2018 because they had so many players now I mean just throwing it back to Philippe all the quality really feels like it's in the attacking third of the pitch even without Nkunku um, you know, you've got Mbappe uh, you have got Benzema, you have got uh, Kingsley Coman, um, you, you know, there's Osman Dembele as well, um, Griezmann, uh, Giroud. How many of them do you think will get into the starting eleven? How, how would Deschamps sort of look to line that team up?
5: I think four three one two with Griezmann in a kind of a withdrawn position and with Benz- Benz- uh, Benzema and Mbappe up front, with Mbappe on the left and Benzema in a kind of Slightly right, but sensory and, and permutation, obviously. But Griezmann being kind of almost number two, uh, number 10, excuse me, uh, in that team. Um, but again, you know, Benzema, I agree with you, but Benzema, his physical state and his mental state, we're not too sure about. Uh, Griezmann has been <laughs> playing 30 minutes per game because of its strange contractual situation. Bappe has had a very complicated year uh in in terms of mental problems and problems with his club. I mean he's scored some absolutely unbelievable goals and he's he's played some wonderful football, but he also hasn't been quite um as together as you know we would hope him to be. And the other thing we shouldn't forget is that the atmosphere within the French Federation at the moment is absolutely catastrophic. And that is bound to have an impact. It's Deschamps last big competition. There's no doubt about that. There's the growing shadow of a certain Zinedine Zidane behind him. And there's a feeling that everything is falling apart at the French FA. So the, the atmosphere is, is awful, absolutely awful. The fact that Giroud is going is not a guarantee that the atmosphere in the dressing room is going to be the best, because there are camps in that French dressing room as well. So for all these reasons... it, re,
4: it Who can dislike Olivier Giroud? I don't,
5: really? um, but okay. some do. Oh, many people do in France. People think, "Oh, he's not worth his place
4: because he's about to get. He could get the French, you know, goal-scoring record, and he's not. He's not like a elite table one footballer, is he?"
5: I think it annoys a lot of people that Olivier Giroud could become France's all-time, you know, greatest goal scorer. I think there are loads of people it annoys. Really, yes, and um, yeah, and, and no, the atmosphere, the atmosphere is 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 poor, and it it does remind me too much of two thousand and two, where we arrived without Robert Pirès. Um, you know, had been injured uh, for Arsenal. Uh, Zizou uh, was not ready and injured himself. Uh, He was forced to play in a stupid friendly against uh, Korea and then was brought back later on in the competition but to no avail. They're against, like, the first game is against Australia, right? And an Australian team that basically will have absolutely no fear, no compunction. They'll go there. They've got, they've stated quite high ambitions. I think they their coach said oh why not the quarterfinals which is like okay guys yeah well done
4: Well, the, the Australia yeah.
5: coach? um I think that's we'll get on optimism um it but really why, why shouldn't they pose huge problems to that French team if they approach it with the spirit which with with which excuse me they will approach it which is they're really tearing to them I'm absolutely convinced of that and how this French t- team responds I don't know then we've got Denmark and heaven knows that we fear Denmark. And you just have to see the games we played against Denmark uh, in 2022 to understand why we have every reason to fear them. And then we think, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, the fear, fa- the fear factor will be there. And we just basically have to, to win against Australia. Even if it's 1-0 at the 97th minute, we don't care. Then the things might be okay. But I, I'm, I'm approaching this game with a, a an amount, certain amount of trepidation, I must say.
4: Um, I, I would be amazed if Australia tear into France but we'll, we'll get to them in a second one more question on France which is from Benji: he says has Hugo Lloris missed the point with the armband he was mm. asked about whether he'd wear a rainbow armband or not and he said when we're in France when we welcome foreigners we often want them to follow our rules to respect our culture and I will do the same when I go to Qatar quite simply I can agree or disagree with our ideas but I have to show respect uh, interesting on the day that we put out the LGBTQ plus special Philippe uh, which was in part three for this pod it's Is It's missing the point.
5: Well, I think he is. I think it's his comments rather than the decision, uh, in a way, because, um, as you will hear, the discussions we've had with people who are in Qatar, people who are members of the LGBT community, they do not see um, manifestations of so-called support for them, open manifestations, as being necessarily a good thing. But this is not the reason why Loris is is not going to wear uh, the armband. Um, the reason why he's not going to wear the armband is, uh, is to me, it's pure submission. Um, I think it's quite cowardly, really. And um, and, and it's the way he's been perceived by almost absolutely everybody in France as well. So that, that's yet another thing to add is that it, it was not a very popular gesture and he didn't explain himself very well. And when he also said that his opinion, or his opinion was very much the opinion of the uh, president uh, of the French FA, Noël Legrette, who is one of the most disliked and sometimes more men in French football, uh, I don't think he chose, chose the right words. Even if you could say that this armband is a, actually quite an empty gesture in some ways, it won't be for some people, it will be for others. And again, as you will hear, uh, for people who are in Qatar, they're very, uh, they have a problem with Westerners coming and making a fuss about their own hell. That they have to live in, saying that in fact, if you do that, all you risk is to be deported, put on a plane. That's it. They have to stay there, and they will pay for the consequences. So, but anyway, that's a, a discussion that we'll have a little bit later.
4: Absolutely. Um. Uh, look, that, so they play Australia in the first game. Uh, Graham Arnold's team uh, got past Peru in a penalty shootout. Uh, Their sub goalkeeper, James Redmayne. That's not James Redmayne. I was at university with James Redmayne. What's his name? Andrew Redmayne. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Uh, uh, There's some goalkeeper, Andrew Redmayne. Did the grobble our wobbly legs and got them through against Peru and sort of shit housed the Peru keeper by throwing the bottle with the uh, the water bottle with all the tactics of the Australian penalty takers. Australian football, from my perspective, is, is sort of in constant existential crisis about what they are, about who they are, about how good the A League or how bad the A League is, um, about how well football is supported. I and mean, the, the truth is that the football fans there love football as much as anybody else. I know, and they will watch this tournament through the night. Um, but I don't know if they have high hopes for this for this team, Mark. They don't have any Galacticos, right? You know, there was a time when Australia had three or four absolutely elite players, and they just don't have that. And and I think a sort of side effect of that is the obsession with Andrew Postacoglu Because he is an Australian doing ama- doing good things. Right, I wouldn't say amazing, but doing good things over in Europe. They just don't have that on the pitch anymore Matty Ryan is not getting a game for Copenhagen Um, you know Aaron Moyes isn't starting that often for Celtic there's no one really in the Premier League doing anything and so Philippe said look they could tear into France I just don't think that'll be the way they start this tournament
6: no, no. The times when I've seen them, I, I, I mean, they they bear, they don't really tear into sort of teams when they're in their own um, qualifying um, sort of pool. So I, I think they will take a a backward step against France. Now, and that would be the best way to try to get um anything out of the game. I mean, he, he, we've spoken a lot about the injuries. To I mean, every team is going to go into this World Cup with um players that are not hundred percent fitness. But um even this week, um Boyle who plays in, in Scotland is somebody um that that's suffering from a knee injury, might not um, make the World Cup and it would certainly be as we speak a doubt for that opening game. Um uh Heristic, who plays um who won the Europa League last season, who plays in in Italy, he's been injured as well now of course you might say well that means they can come into the action fresh and that they that they haven't been playing this kind of crazy schedule but i do feel like you need some kind of rhythm and then match fitness becomes another um, issue as as well for players you know you've got this world cup is condensed so that uh, they you're playing three matches in sort of 9 or 10 days and if you're not fully fit i don't see how you'll be able to do that and you look at the, the sort of squad depth it's not there um, as far as um australia are concerned I mean, I was looking at that. Okay, I, I just think this is quite a simple group to predict in terms of who goes through um, with the, the big European teams coming through in first and second. And, you know, Australia and Tunisia have quite a bit behind um, in, in that respect. Yeah, I, I, I don't share any uh, that, that kind of Graham Arnold. I, I didn't see the quote, but if he's saying quarterfinals, I think he's setting the Socceroos supporters up for a, um, a disappointment.
4: Uh, let's talk about Denmark. Then a lot of people's dark horses. They did well at the Euros, didn't they? And we can all agree, probably wasn't a penalty that England got in extra time. Now uh, they're not going to go back and replay that moment. And also, it feels like Philippe, but kind of you know, it, it's a last World Cup for a lot of. Danish old stages of course Christian Eriksen, we remember that day as a lot of people do in the euros he's
5: only th- he's only 30 he? you know uh, okay yeah maybe yeah.
4: so so do you think not the last one for him and Schmeichel and Horbieg, maybe uh, schmeichel yeah uh,
5: schmeichel, schmeichel yes and I think there are there are some people who would say that schmeichel is perhaps not exactly the keeper he used to mm. be and uh that he's, but I know there's a mixture of um, I mean first of all it's I don't think they're dark horses. What's the opposite of a dark horse? Just a horse. I mean, just they're, a horse, isn't it? It's just a, it's just a, 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 a light horse, yeah. and and uh, because there are many people's favorite to actually top the group, so I don't think it would be any surprise whatsoever if they did well because everybody's got in mind what they did at the Euro. Obviously, we thought they were that's it, and what they managed to surmount and the amount of togetherness they showed, uh, the talent that, that is in their team. I mean that's. Pretty pretty impressive uh, for a country of six million inhabitants, and uh, I don't think that would be a surprise at all to see it do and also they, they they haven't had also the price with injuries. I think the only one that other most other teams have had I think the only slide out is around Andreas christensen, isn't it Mark, um, who is you know so so is fit, but we don't exactly know what his state, physical state is, otherwise all the other guys. Are there? You know, um, the Cares, uh, Thomas Delaney, Højbæk, uh, uh, Ericsson, they are all there, and they will be fit. And uh, because of that, they—they they, look—they look—I don't know—they look solid. They look calm, um, and they look for me um, favorites to 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 top this group. If I'm absolutely
6: honest, and I think, uh, yeah, and I think topping the group. We always try and work out how the draw will will sort of develop and it, it never seems to to ring true. But if we assume that Argentina win Group C, winning Group D is, is absolutely massive because you will avoid Argentina. You go into the other half of the draw. Most people are expecting Brazil and Argentina to be in the top half. The bottom half, if you win that group, would be the runner up. Um, in Group C So Mexico or, or Poland And we've, we've spoken about their issues And then you're into a quarterfinal Which is seeded to be England Who again I think have got those vulnerabilities And as you mentioned Max you know It was a harsh penalty against Denmark A game that was up Wembley in the semi-final It wouldn't take much for Denmark To turn that form around really They've already beaten France Home and away in 2022 I don't know how much Value we need to put on that Nations League because uh, you know were teams trying um, in terms of in terms of the maximum of their ability. I'm sure there'll there'll be a little bit more effort come uh, the World Cup. But I I share kind of Philippe's optimism around Denmark and maybe therefore its pessimism around um, France because they just look like a, a really solid together international team that's not going to concede many goals. And you're adding Ericsson into a team that reached the semi-final of of the Euros and he's... Playing at a level that I don't think you know anybody really dreamed he would he would get back to, and it's fantastic to see. I, I think that they are um, a, a team that could go far, but they will need to win the group.
4: Uh, worth mentioning, you know, we talked about Hugo Lloris and, and his statement. It's worth mentioning both the Socceroos; they did an excellent video, didn't they? The squad got together, talked about human rights and um, unions and LGBTQ plus rights. Um, the Danes as well. You know, the the kit is. Uh, the badge is kind of faded. They wanted to wear a training kit called, said, that said Human Rights for All, which FIFA said no. Thomas Delaney uh, said, ask any football player, he'll call it a disaster. Uh, he said in a documentary about the World Cup being in Qatar, that's how I see it. No one here thinks it's a good idea. Kasper Michael, I'm glad I'll be playing in a World Cup. Am I content with where it's being held? No, I'm not. Uh, I can't change it. Only voice my dissatisfaction. And Jakob Jensen says it will not host any fan areas in Qatar we don't want to support the country. So interesting um, that, you know, the most sort of, I guess, the most socially conscious group possibly in the World Cup with Denmark and Australia. Tunisia, their manager, Jadel Kadri, has several head coaching jobs at clubs in Tunisia, Saudi Arabia and Libya, I am reading, has been twice an assistant coach for Tunisia. They've got the 19-year-old Hannibal you might have seen playing for Manchester United. Um, But beyond that, I don't know a whole lot and I stare at both of you and I...
5: Birmingham City's Hannibal Meshbri. Exactly, yeah. Um, well, I think Webby Kazri. Oh, you yeah, of have course. have heard of Webby yeah. Kazri, yes. Yeah, and he is still the, the fulcrum of he is still the creative fulcrum in the team. That is blowing hot and cold, and more cold than hot, I'm afraid. And um, I don't think that's the best ever Tunisian team to have made it to a World Cup, that's for sure. Um, and the results have been quite, I mean don't quite know what to expect from them I mean they've just been absolutely walloped i mean they were walloped by Brazil not that long ago a couple of months ago um and their results haven't been great but on the other hand they've they've done you know in in the afghan qualification in particular they've they've had some terrible results um but they yes they they're a team I don't exactly know what to expect from them but I'm not expecting great things if you see what i mean I think it will be it will be from not very good to mediocre is
6: what I would expect from them. I saw one statistic, Philippe, that said eight of their last 11 competitive games had featured no more than one goal. So I I, I think I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in terms of their style, what it will be. I know they've changed manager since AFCON, but... I thought they were horrible in in that tournament. Not the only team that, that played in a defensive style, but uh, they were beaten by Burkina Faso. Um, but they'd also
5: and the Gambia too, yeah.
6: Yeah, they'd lost a couple of their group games, one nil as as well. So it was a it was a, a disappointing uh, tournament from them. Um, I suppose that they did win the the Kiring Cup. Um, against Japan Chile and Ghana in June but if we were not sure what to make of the Nations League uh, results maybe we shouldn't be putting too much stock um, there I again in terms of like finishing third and fourth I mean that game against Australia offers both an opportunity to win a World Cup game and I'd I don't think we should um, sort of rubbish how much that means to, you know, here we, we support nations that, you know, are, um, you know, hoping for more at a world cup, but, but for some being at the world cup is, um, and, you know, a tremendous achievement and winning a world cup game or scoring a world cup goal, um, can, can, can mean an awful lot um, to some teams. And I, I think in terms of Tunisia, they've never managed to get out of the group previously. I don't expect that to change, but the game against Australia offers both teams that, that opportunity to, to win. Right,
4: that'll do for this bit of the podcast. Um, thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, Max. Uh, thank you, Philippe. You, uh, you will hear yourself in part three.
5: <laughs> I will. Thank you, Max.
4: Uh, no worries. Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, this bit was produced by Joel Grove with Silas Gregs. executive produced by Max Sanderson. Coming up next, uh, our second special ahead of the World Cup uh, today focused on the LGBTQI plus community in Qatar.
7: Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you have no idea where it's going? Well, I know it's all of those subscriptions. I use rocket money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on. And I had them cancel the ones I didn't want anymore. Rocket money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending and helps lower your bills. Rocket money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash pod24. That's rocketmoney.com slash pod24. rocketmoney.com slash pod24.
4: Welcome back to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. This is a special uh, on the LGBTQI plus community in Qatar. In this part, we speak to the first openly gay Qatari, uh, Dr. Naz Mohammed, who claimed political asylum in the United States, will hear anonymous testimonies of gay and transgender Qataris who still live in the country. And we have a panel of experts who have spent time there. We want to find out as best we can what life is actually like for the LGBTQI plus community in a country where same-sex relations are illegal, carry a punishment of several years in jail, and have their experiences changed for the better or the worse since Qatar was awarded the World Cup. Before we introduce our panel, a few weeks ago I spoke to Dr. Nasser Mohammed, a gay man who left Qatar in 2011 and this is his story. Tell us about life in Qatar growing up. You said to the independent interview that you had to sort of grow up anonymous. What was it like?
8: In Qatar, it's really difficult to have any, any individual traits that kind of go away from the image that the society would like people to have. So I grew up in a conservative family in Qatar and mostly confirming to most traditional and societal standards until I learned that I was an LGBT person, you know, in my young teens. And, you know, that was something that is absolutely out of my control. I just was learning this about myself. At that time, I would say like the way I experienced my young teens was just being extremely avoidant of the topic in general, up till I was in high school. And then that's when fear really started to kick in, fear of being found out. Um, fear of having to face moments where I would have to get into an arranged marriage and form a traditional family, something that I knew I wasn't able to do. I really started facing the topic in medical school um, as I was traveling back and forth uh, to the United States. And when I accepted, I should say, that I'm gay, uh, it was a identity crisis moment that's similar to a lot of the coming out moments that LGBT individuals have. But mine was coupled with life crisis because home was not safe anymore. There were no resources to tap into, honestly, at all. Like, there were no people to reach out to, no clear paths from where I was, no way to signal that there was help. Um, So at that time, I decided to just pursue my um, post-medical training in the United States, and I left with the intention of not going back I didn't know how, so that was in 2011, and then in 2015, I decided to file for political asylum in the United States and moved to San Francisco.
4: From my experience of chatting to LGBTQ plus people from that community, like coming out is hard enough in a country where homosexuality is legal, where it is celebrated. To sort of have that experience in a country where I presume, well, what was it like? Like, what, what was the discussion of homosexuality growing up? Was it just? Was it ever talked about?
8: Absent. No, when I was growing up, it was absolutely absent. It was not talked about. There were whispers and rumors. And, you know, there's just like, there are a couple of things that really made this, I think, really tough. There's one of them is the severe persecution uh, for individuals by the the government and their own families, if they try to come out, or if, if they just speak on the top about the topic. But the fact that also that People function in Qatar as like family units, really. So, like a person coming out is, is, is not an individual thing. You're out in your whole family.
4: What was it like telling your family?
8: Initially, I uh, came out to my parents when I decided to file for asylum. So, I, I called my mom and told her I'm not coming back home. And this is why I decided to do that instead of just not going back home and them not knowing why. It was a very difficult conversation because. When I had it the first time, I was emotionally caught in it, right? So I I was, like, very defensive. And now, like, a few years later, I'm, like, looking at it just externally. And, you know, she was not armed as a parent with resources and information to understand what is it like to be an LGBT person. And I really do blame the system for that. My mom was initially like shocked and then she was sad and then she was asking if I got treatment, which is what they do. They try to fix it in Qatar. That was the beginning of the end, you know, of my relationship with my parents.
4: You said that in Qatar, the state tries to treat people like you. What do you mean by that?
8: So this has been shifting from what I've been learning. So I had my own understanding of this. I encountered some of it as a medical student. And then I also got to hear a lot more stories since coming out. And it used to be mandatory. They used to be pretty abrasive about this. But I it just has caused a lot of tension, I think, uh, from individuals that were forced to go through it. So now they have to get quote-unquote consent for people to go through it, but there is like <laughs> really no other choice you sure. know, but to go through it. So um, families refer their children, so adolescents like really are forced to go through it in a way by their families. There is a sect of the law enforcement there that quite literally hunts LGBT people, specifically targeting um, feminine gay, bo- gay men and um, transgender women. And They subject them to this while they're imprisoned and then have um, an order for them to go to conversion therapy sessions post their release. So that's, that's what's going on.
7: Right, there is less than a month to go until the World Cup kicks off in Qatar and the country's treatment of the LGBTQ plus community is once again in the spotlight. As a human rights group releases a damning report alleging people are being detained and physically abused by security services.
8: What would happen if
4: you went back to Qatar now,
8: do you think? I think I would at the very minimum spend like a lot of time in prison, perhaps life in prison. And I think it's not only because of me advocating for LGBT rights, but I think just me speaking against the regime, I think, would be really not tolerated at all. Um, there are people, there are some reports with Amnesty International of people like just opposing um, certain opinions um, having ended up serving life in prison. So I really do, I don't think I can ever go back.
4: When you speak about that, and then the fact that, you know, FIFA gave Qatar the World Cup, and then obviously, you know, you wrote that open letter to David Beckham, who in the past has, you know, spoken of himself as an ally for the world cup and it isn't just beckham who's taking this money lots of people are you know uh uh fronting pr campaigns for this world cup what what do you say to them
8: well he also blocked me on instagram this weekend (laughs) wow (laughs) exactly that's exactly how it feels like it's another
9: beautiful day here in qatar
3: welcome to doha david beautiful
9: This will go down as one of my favorite mornings.
8: It feels... It feels so unjust, and yet it's like this awful accident that's happening and nobody is able to stop it because money is involved. A lot of it is involved. And then it's just crushing, absolutely crushing, people like me at home. And, you know... I, you know, I, like I. Sorry, I'm just a little upset.
4: That's okay. Take your time.
8: Have I have seen this happen, like with other countries, with other sporting um, platforms, and now it's happening to us. And it definitely feels very different when it's happening to you, um, and. I just refuse
4: to let it happen, you know? I just <sighs> fuck. I'm so sorry, mate. I, I you know, I, I it's one of and, and, and do you know one of my big fears and I and I and, and we will be guilty of this, is that obviously we're talking about this now, and then the World Cup happens, and then you know, the media circus leaves Qatar, right? We have to talk about You know, whatever football's happening in January and February, and we won't talk about this, you know. And so I guess you must fear for what, you know, this is a, this is, and this is such a trite, sort of awful way of putting it. This is a great opportunity, right? To talk about these issues. But in two months' time, it all disappears and everyone forgets again. And that must be a huge fear for you, right?
8: Yes. And that's why I've been scrambling to do the last thing that I think is within my power to do, which is. Anchoring all the interests and efforts and resources into a non-profit organization that can then have a mission to continue to bring visibility and support past this moment, not only to Qatar, but to the Gulf region. Because this is a pattern that keeps happening in the Gulf region and there are no independent LGBT voices coming out and speaking about what's actually happening on the ground. And I really, really believe that this is a very important void to fill. So I'm going to try to do it this year.
4: What can, you know, our, our audience are football fans, right? But who care about things. That's how I, I tend to see it, right? Um, what What can just, you, you know, what can any of us do? How can we help? What can we do?
8: So I've been trying to think about this and, um I'm trying to think of different people and I've been trying to think of ways to help and ways not to get hurt at the same time. So I'm hoping that when this nonprofit is up and running, that will be a very clear way to help and support. Supporting that would be supporting the community and pushing the cause. So it would be a very actionable thing for people to do. Another way for people to help and support is by bringing awareness and visibility. somebody has a platform, us visibility because visibility brings help and brings resources so visibility matters a lot um, and then another thing people can do is just give people that are fighting this at home a sense of hope and i don't have a formed idea of how to do that people are more than welcome to use my platform if they have specific messages they want to send to the lgbt community in qatar they're watching my platforms. Going in and provoking our abusers and leaving, I, um, I fear, is not very productive. I think it can just cause local retaliation, and then it can hurt the people doing that too. So I think that's just really not a wise approach. I think there are ways to advocate and show support without being provocative and causing harm to people themselves or to the local community.
4: Nas, thanks so much for coming on I, I really appreciate it and like thank you for your openness as well I know it isn't easy you, you may have had this conversation loads of times but clearly it doesn't just get easier because you've, you've said these things before um, and like keep in touch because we're not going to cover this every week on the podcast but th- th- it would be uh, it would be a failure on our part if we didn't come back and discuss this at another time some point
8: okay thank you for discussing the topic
4: On the panel today, I'm very pleased to say we have Rosie Garthwaite, the digital documentaries producer for BBC Arabic. Rosie, thanks for coming on.
7: Thank you for having me.
4: David Harding is the international editor of The Independent. Hi, David. Hello, thanks again. And uh, Philippe Claire uh, Football Weekly stalwart, the pod's moral guide. Hello, hello,
5: Philippe. Good morning to you, Max.
4: David and Rosie, I wonder if I could first ask you a little bit about your work, your experiences in Qatar, the, the golf and with the LGBTQI plus community? I mean, Rosie, I guess a polite way of saying, what are you What are you doing on this podcast?
7: Okay, well, I was um, lucky enough to live in Qatar for, uh, I think it was a total of nine years, actually. I started at Al Jazeera, as so many did, young budding journalists out there. And then after a few years, decided I wanted to set up my own independent uh, production company. Um, I think at one point, we were the only independent Documentary production company, uh, documentary and news company um, across the Gulf, and uh, it was a really hard. It was a really hard task, and um, a lot of people, as a result of uh, the the work that I was doing, um, some of it on record, some of, but most of it off record, uh, silently behind the scenes, uh, would approach me with their stories, and so. I had lots of friends, obviously, who were uh, gay, but I also uh, was introduced by them to people who were struggling. Actually, there was quite a a crossover between young women who were struggling with their families and LGBTQI uh people who were struggling um with their families and in so many other ways as well so i got quite embedded in the community in the end and also about halfway through my time in qatar i discovered that i was also gay so that that kind of um that, that changed things a little bit although that wasn't very well known until i returned um to england uh, about five years ago uh, so yeah
4: can i ask rosie when when you discovered you were gay, were you, were you given your experiences, nervous of, of coming out in Qatar?
7: In my experience, because I lived in a relatively privileged bubble, and when people were in that bubble, well, it was a very privileged bubble, um, and when people were in that bubble with us at parties or out in the desert or whatever, it was a very safe place for people to be. And in my experience, there was a great freedom. And I think that many expats would say this to you over the centuries about being in a, everyone being there without their families and attachments and being able to be a version of themselves without limits. Although very clearly those limits are are extremely real for Qataris and for many others living in Qatar with their families. Mm.
4: I mean, actually, David, that that echoes what we've discussed already that life is very different for. Qataris as it is for expats what's your experience of of Qatar?
9: I was uh, living in Qatar for about four and a half years four and a half five years I was working as a journalist there uh, one of the few western journalists I was working for uh, something called Agence France Press which I'm sure Philip knows a lot about but uh, basically can I called it roughly the equivalent of the French Reuters, something like that. So the uh, global news agency, we set up an office there primarily because of 2022, what was coming down the track.
4: And one of the difficulties in discussing this, I guess, David, is, is how little information there is about the gay community in Qatar.
9: Yes, and, uh, and that mirrors... Lots of things that go on within Qatar. There's lots of things that sort of go on behind closed doors generally that shouldn't or aren't allowed to to go on. It's it's a very closed space. It's a place where you don't uh, reveal yourself very easily uh, and very uh, openly. It's, uh, so those people uh, that I knew were LGBT whilst I was in Qatar certainly wouldn't discuss it openly. It would take basically a lot of discussion Um, sort of late night discussions to even talk about it. There were rumours of uh, places you can go or or, or, uh, Rosie mentioned places in the desert, that kind of thing where where people could go and and be themselves. It's a hidden aspect of life and there's a lot of hidden aspects of life within Qatar. It's it's a place that uh, if you do things that can be uh, slightly against the strict nature of the place you have to make sure that you're not seen to be doing them, and an LGBT fell in that category.
5: We have been in touch with a number of people from that community uh, who have informed what we're trying to say, trying to explain, but that for reasons which are not reasons of Orientalism or neo neocolonialism, uh, these voices, which obviously are the ones that we should be listening to, cannot be heard there and therefore they cannot be heard here. So we had to be very, very careful about this. And this explains why we are talking about something which is somebody else's experience. And I know that for some people it's very problematic to to do that. But if you don't do it, we're not going to say anything.
4: You're going to hear testimonies throughout this pod um, from uh, people from that community in Qatar, uh, including the one you're just about to hear. They've all been voiced by actors.
3: I grew up knowing and believing that I was a boy. I was in a school where there was all girls, but there is no way I was a girl. I started to realize my reality is different. I used to think I would sleep and the next morning I would wake up a boy. I used to be bullied a lot for being boyish. Not like the other girls. The way I walk, the way I talk, everything. People used to bully me. I was in my 8th grade when I had a nervous breakdown. I said, can't you see I am a boy? If someone saw me and did not like my appearance, they can ask the police to take me. I am every day in danger because if someone knew that I am trans and Qatari, it is a life-threatening thing. I cannot give myself false hope, it's never going to be safe. There is no right for you to speak, to ask about your rights. I am living my purpose by just being me, every day. If I am going to stay in Qatar, I am going to lose. Even in a hundred years, no one will get their rights to live here.
4: Human Rights Watch published a report the day before this recording, which is a few weeks before it goes out, stating that police in Qatar have arbitrarily detained and abused members of the LGBTQ community. Um, It said it had documented six cases of severe and repeated beatings and five cases of sexual harassment in police custody between 2019 and 2022. The most recent case was in September. This was uh, rejected by the Qatar government. An official said the allegations were categorically and unequivocally false. Qatar does not tolerate discrimination against anyone and our policies and procedures are underpinned by a commitment to human rights for all. I wonder, Rosie, it's difficult to hear stories about, you know, beatings. And I know Dr. Now talked about conversion therapy and these kind of things. But it's probably important for listeners to hear what happens if, if you know, the police arrest a gay person.
7: We've been talking to uh, members of the LGBT community um, and their supporters over the last few days about that report. But I think it's fair to say that if you are gay and you're Qatari, of any level of society, you would be in fear of being arrested and that level that side of your life being exposed um, or whether you're arrested or not, just that like that side of your life being exposed in Qatar and around the region is um, is a constant threat uh, to many of these people.
4: When we talk about sports washing o- o- of any level, David, we talk about one of the arguments is, oh look, we you know they will people will talk about these things. The community will get uh, you know it'll be a, it'll be a what's the right word an enlightening experience for everyone in Qatar, and you know gay people will come to Qatar, gay fans, and everyone will see it'll be fine, and actually it'll it'll be a step forward for you know gay people in Qatar. And I just wonder from your experience and, and Rosie obviously can come in this in on this too has the experience of the LGBTQI plus community got better or worse or stayed the same since Qatar was awarded the World Cup
9: in my experience I would say it's it's obviously more spoken about uh, just because of the noise around the Qatar World Cup Um, but uh, what that's done on the ground uh, I don't know if it's had any particularly positive impact? It's it's things are sort of still the same. But also, there's this element. There is within the conservative uh, parts of Qatari society a fear about the World Cup, a fear around the World Cup of what sort of behaviours it will bring in. This is far broader than LGBT, of course. And there is some opposition to what could come in, and a, and a sort of a belief that there's an imposition of Western values. And one of those things is tolerance or acceptance of LGBT that's seen as a western value that's being imposed upon people and so those people within Qatar who are gay who are local who want basically equality or just want to be accepted by their their own society their own government their own families their own work colleagues that kind of thing they're viewed by many people as sort of if I can put it like this agents of the west that they're trying to bring in uh, things that are damaging and changing a, a society which is deeply traditional and conservative generally, uh, which, of course, they're not. They're just trying to be accepted for what they are and for, the, for their sexuality. So the arguments around or the noise around that, uh, that that people like us are making around the World Cup and around this issue, I, it's it's hard to say if there's had any great positive effects. And I, and I think the response of the Qatari author- World Cup authorities is... Um, quite insulting in a way. Uh, they're, they're basically saying they're going to hold their nose for a month after uh, three and a half weeks. Um, you can you can be gay if you like, but not too gay. And then, then we'll go back to how it all was. And that, and that, that means nothing for local LGBT. Um, and I don't know if we were sitting here in February or March 2023, if anything would uh, have improved or maybe fearfully got worse.
7: I think also the, the thing that over, is that there's, there are no, whilst on the migrant workers, there has been a small shift in the right direction. When it comes to these rights and women's rights, I don't think there's been any shift. And if anything, I would say the country, perhaps along with much of the region, has grown more conservative in recent years. And Unfortunately, the World Cup just puts massive spotlight on the disparity between the way visitors, including expats that live there, are treated versus the Qataris who have um, no chance of escape unless they seek asylum.
5: This was an incident today at the National Museum in Qatar, where Peter Tatchel, a veteran LGBT rights activist, went to the country to show his protest against the discriminatory laws in the country. The fact Mm. is there are laws prohibiting same-sex relations, something highlighted significantly ahead of this World Cup. One thing, which uh, Max, which um, has been a recurrent theme, and, you know, uh, Rosie and and David have heard this probably far more often for far longer than I have, but was the great reluctance of uh, people from the LGBT community, to use that word, in Qatar, towards uh, any kind of activism during the World Cup, uh, it's one thing that we would, I was told time and time again, please don't come and wave your rainbow flags in the stadiums. Please don't feel good about you know. Don't do things to feel good about yourselves and show what a hero you are for the LGBTQI plus uh, people. Because the people, all you risk is you're going to be put, perhaps arrested, perhaps poops on the plane. That's it. End of story. Uh, but for the people who are there, it actually will make things worse. That I'm actually just being a conduit here for something that I've been told by a number of people uh, a number of times, and which is something that, because it, it, is, it can be perceived, and actually quite, I think quite logically, as a form, yes, of almost neocolonialism and really imposing values, which have got nothing to do with the traditional values of, of Qatari society. And some would say, with also the tenets of Islam. And and to impose that for a few weeks and then go and, you know, and we don't care about the consequences.
4: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned religion and it's interesting, you know, just it's actually quite a homophobic world, Rosie, when you look at it, like 69 countries have laws that criminalize homosexuality. Um, a, a lot of them are based on like interpretations of, of scriptures in those countries, be it Islam or Christianity or whatever religion, you know, there are only 28 countries in the world that recognize same-sex marriages and and i think only 81 as of 2020 that have laws against discrimination in the workplace i suppose it's important to say it isn't just Qatar dr naz david talked about sort of official spies type of things, so like you know set going on f- dates like trying to catch people out is that something that you um you know have have you spoken to people in the community about that
9: Yes, he's not the only person to say it. Um, uh, Rosie hinted about a few comments ago about the the, the digital aspect of this, uh, which has made things even more perilous. Um, if for some uh, if for some reason you were trying to uh, meet somebody else, either in a social setting or you, you know, sort of hooking up uh, for a date that that happens elsewhere. Uh, If you're doing that digitally, people have said that Katara said to me that this is a no-go because it's so scary. You don't know who you're talking to, don't know uh, basically what this person's intentions are. If you could meet somebody and suddenly be arrested, beaten, there is a real fear aspect of that because as we've hinted at quite a few times now, that there isn't a community as such. It's, it's individuals trying to make their way through life on their own uh, and doing this. So they have to sort of um, make that assessment. It, there's no doubt that uh, sort of cyber spy so- software is so now much more sophisticated than it was just several years ago that um, that makes it problematic.
7: I actually haven't heard of an arrest after one of these incidents, but I do know that people live in fear of this. And I think, you know, that living in that fear um, it doesn't awful things to you.
0: In this feudal society, you have to operate through that bureaucracy. They put a carrot in front of you. They can blackmail you. They can abuse you if you're found out. Say this company wanted to employ me in marketing. I couldn't because I studied in something different. This is how it works. Everything must go through one single ministry. Everything must be registered and controlled. This is what this country does to you. You feel indentured permanently against your will. Even the act of committing suicide isn't one we can make with complete autonomy. That would be our parents' reputation in the coffin with us. There is nothing for us to live for. It's not like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is none. We're in this long, limitless, dark tunnel, and we keep going, thinking we might find something, but it's not there. I was never allowed to do anything with my sexuality, and therefore I became handicapped, almost arrested in my development. If I want to have sex, I don't have anywhere I can go. I live with my parents. I don't have the money to afford a hotel. If I stayed in a hotel, my ID would be scanned. There are cameras everywhere, so I'm always on edge. The fact that we have a police state that surveils us means that we do not have the luxury of doing basic, mundane things. It is intangible, but the obstacles to intimacy are ever-present. There are no places where gay people can congregate. What you see in Qatar is all smoke and mirrors. There is a coordinated, coercive determination to conceal everything. If Qatar was a movie genre, it would be psychological horror. That's why it's so dangerous for me. There is no joy in being a martyr for a cause I didn't consciously choose, in being raped throughout an entire lifetime in silent view of everyone and not being able to speak about it.
4: The testimonies that we're going to play out that have been voiced and they're anonymous. I know that it's really affected you. Just talking to those people, I just wonder how how you how you found these people if you can even say. I don't know.
5: No, I don't want to. Okay, um, I don't want to. I was helped by people who uh, had um, who introduced me to uh, to some of them, and then you know it goes from one to the next, and it's about uh, building a some trust uh i have to say i i got a little bit paranoid about that but also i have to say yes though i i found some of the conversations extremely extremely difficult to have and um you know because i i again i thought i knew a bit i realized i knew nothing and um or rather what i knew was it's not about it's illegal you could be punished by a prison no it's about it's about when you start talking to to the people who are in the situation it's about being taken by the hand into a hellscape. There's no other word for it.
4: Finally, is there anything, is there any good that can come from this World Cup, David?
9: That's a very difficult question. I've, I've asked that to, to, to people within Qatar itself. Um, I think it's proven very, very prob- problematic for uh, Western activists, those who are far more sort of full-time as well as those who are sort of might just pick up a rainbow flag on November twentieth, it's something that uh, is a huge problem for Qatari, uh, local gay Qataris because uh, this is something that is a struggle that they have to uh, succeed in themselves. How that they do that is is very unclear. Um, And at the time, and as we said, they could face a potential backlash because of all the noise that's being made in the West specifically about this issue. Having spoken to to local people quite a lot on this, I don't know specifically where any sort of great success or anything, to to answer your question, Max, can be found immediately.
4: Uh, Philippe, as always, thanks, mate. Thank you. David, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Rosie, thank you. Thank you. So in response to some of the allegations made, um, uh, we wanted to get in touch with FIFA, the Organising Committee, etc. And uh, here are all the statements. Again, it's quite long, uh, but it is worth listening to. Uh, a FIFA spokesperson told us that FIFA's position on inclusivity and the protection of human rights is unequivocal. Discrimination of any kind on account of sexual orientation is strictly prohibited. They told us that FIFA strives to, quote, promote diversity within its organisation and in all of its activities and events. With regards to the World Cup in Qatar, a FIFA spokesperson said that Qatar, as a host country, is fully aware of its responsibility to adhere to FIFA's expectations and requirements on human rights, equality and non-discrimination. They told us that FIFA and its Qatari counterparts are implementing a strategic programme of concrete measures to achieve this objective the measures will be in place for LGBTQI fans and allies to enjoy the tournament in a welcoming and safe environment. When we reached out to the Qatari government, a spokesperson told us they were extremely disappointed by our decision to deliberately exclude Qatari and Arab voices and that the assumption that the safety of any person testifying about their experiences in Qatar would be at risk is an unfounded and baseless claim that goes against Qatar's core principles of dialogue and engagement as the best means to effect change. They said many of the allegations put forward are categorically false and paint an inaccurate picture of the reality in Qatar. They told us that Qatar is a diverse and welcoming country where discrimination is never tolerated and that there have never been reports of violence targeting people based on their background or beliefs in Qatar. They said that allegations of arbitrary arrests and detainments are categorically and unequivocally false and that the Qatari government does not operate or license any treatment or conversion centres. A statement on behalf of the Supreme Committee for Delivery and Legacy said they were committed to delivering an inclusive and discrimination-free FIFA World Cup experience that is welcoming, safe and accessible to all participants, attendees and communities in Qatar and around the world. They said that everyone is welcome in Qatar, but we are a conservative country and any public display of affection regardless of orientation is frowned upon. We simply ask for people to respect our culture. We reached out to representatives for David Beckham, who did not respond. Previous reporting by the Metro implies that following publication of an earlier story, Dr. Naz's account was unblocked shortly after publication. And an anonymous source close to Beckham has also been reported saying David believes in Qatar's commitment to progress and that the World Cup can affect significant positive change. This part of the programme on the LGBTQ community was produced by Joel Grove, our executive producer. It was Max Anderson.